Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Ward Committeeman Raymond Lopez of Chicago, an outspoken critic of the crime rise in Chicago, and also Chris Roebling, Republican commentator, and a little bit later on in the broadcast, we'll be joined by uh, Professor Nigel Rabb, who is a Russian history expert from Loyola Marymount University in California, and uh, our program coming to you from our home base at uh, the WYND AM 560 studios in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. We're going to begin by talking about crime and, and, and whether the crime rate in America is really as bad as the media is suggesting it, because the media tends to puff up uh, a lot of stuff. And again, we have a situation where in a lot of major cities, uh, there has been what's been called as smash and grab robberies in high visibility areas. Uh, and there's also been a, a large number of homicides in the top 10 cities as well. And so the issue of, of killing people and stealing, you know, a Gucci purse, there's all sort of, they're all sort of wrapped together. Uh, and in addition to that, obviously, there's the, there's the usual issue of gang violence that permeates a lot of major cities. So I want to speak generally about the issue of uh, crime and, and what, if anything, uh, the federal government can do about it. I mean, they're, you know, they're going to try to throw some money at it, but is that really the answer? Ray Lopez joins us. He is an alderman. He's the Democratic Committeeman of the 15th Ward. Uh, but in Chicago, you run nonpartisan, so you're a, you're a Democratic Committeeman, but you're not really a Democratic alderman. You're an alderman from the 15th Ward. And again, also we should mention you have been an outspoken critic of, of Lori Lightfoot. They have probably heard some of your tirades on newscasts all over the country. You're probably one of the more well-known members of the Chicago City Council. But, Ray, as you, as you look at the overall picture, is it as bad as the national media is making it out to be? I think it is very much as bad as the media portrays it when we look at the fact that in many cities like Chicago, many big cities in particular, run by my fellow Democrats, there are policies that are being put in place that are contrary to common sense, where you're allowing people to be released and re-released and re-released 16 times more after being arrested on multiple offenses. The, you know, the enablement of crime is a real issue, and we're seeing its impact not only in smash and grabs and carjackings in cities like Chicago, but also in the rise of murders by repeat offenders. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an issue that, you know, if the local governments can't figure out how to get this right, maybe we need to have some federal sentencing standards in place to ensure that when you are convicted of multiple offenses, there's a very different approach to have at it, or start having the U.S. Attorney General, the U.S. Attorneys mm -hmm. in the various regions start handling these cases so that we could get federal lockup instead of local lockup. Chris Roebling, you are a, you're a Republican. You live in suburbia, but again, uh, you were involved with the Cook County Republican Party for many years, and uh, you, you ran a mayoral campaign for uh, your friend Don Heider. As you look at the crime situation right now, and you, you've, again, you've watched it for 40, 50 years now, do you think it's as bad as the media is making it out to be? I think it's worse. Worse? And I In live, what way? Uh, I'm very happy to report that I'm now a, a proud resident of the South Loop, so living okay. just, just south of Roosevelt. 
in the city of Chicago, very close to Soldier Field. Um, I think it's worse because the uh, the statistics don't indicate the fear of regular people. And I think regular people are afraid. I hear it all the time, everywhere I go, that people are concerned about either themselves or their family members or the little old lady who lives down the street. I'm a stone's throw from Chinatown in the city of Chicago. And we had a an ass, basically an assassination mm-hmm. of a 73-year-old Chinese-American immigrant to this country who had worked hard his entire 45 years here, had built a life for himself. His Crime family. solved in 24 hours. It, it, well, they, the, the Chicago police did a phenomenal job, at, at, and, and they typically, I will say, to, I think they usually do. But the fact but is... The answer, but the answer there is... The residents of Chinatown, they cooperated with the police. They had Absolutely. names, dates, and suggestions. Oh, yeah. Where that doesn't mm-hmm. happen in certain sectors of Chicago. They see nothing. They don't, they don't know anything. Get, getting back to your question, I just think that we've reached a point at which the general awareness of these attacks, whether it's the smash and grab of the car, the smash and grab in shopping districts, or the random shootings, or in this case, obviously some sort of assassination, um, it's permeating the consciousness of the urban uh, residents, and it's it's awful. Ray, how do you see it? Because the other piece of crime that we should add to this is uh, carjacking. Carjacking is through the roof, no pun intended, in Chicago. And and when your residents in the in the southwest side uh, are watching their televisions at night. Are they really that worried about whether someone is rampaging Gucci's on North Michigan Avenue? I don't think they're necessarily caring about the rampage at Gucci or if the Rolls Royce store was broken into right. like it was this weekend. Right. But I think to Chris's point, you know, we're starting to change our behavior in big cities like Chicago and others where you have to second guess yourself on whether or not you want to go outside out of fear that something may happen to you. And I think in a many in many cities across America, that's not a fear that they're they're used to dealing with. But we're seeing that change now because of many of these policies that put repeat offenders out there, these policies that don't hold, you know, parents liable for the actions of their children. All of these things that are designed to help criminals and ignore the victim are permeating and coming home to roost at this in point. In your neighborhood, because you're, you, you have a mixed neighborhood, you have some Caucasians, but you have a lot of blacks and you have a lot of Hispanics. Do Hispanics cooperate with the police or are they too fearful of having a knock on the door from the INS? No, I think both both demographics are willing to to cooperate with the police. I think the reason that they often don't is that they don't necessarily see action after they cooperate. So if they're going to take the time to call 911 to say, hey, Joe Blow down the street is the shooter, they, want, they expect that shooter to be gone. What they don't want to see is them pointing the finger and nothing happening, and now Joe Blow, the shooter, knows that they're the ones trying to get them out of the neighborhood. And after you know years of that kind of a relationship, they start to pull back. Chinatown, in this instance, doesn't have that same relationship, so they were more than happy to call because they expected a return on their investment. They've always also had sort of their internal uh, policing, if you will. I don't mean vigilante, but I mean there's, no. there's, a, there's a tightness of the Chinese-American community in Chicago that's, that's almost beyond, uh, it's not a paramilitary organization, no, no, no. but there's a tightness to it. And there's, 
there are a lot of uh, video mm -hmm. cameras out there, and I mean, I, I, I'm I'm one of the people who very sadly uh, viewed the video. I think many people have. They were on various media platforms, uh, and it's just terrifying. You know, look, um, I I don't think that there is any question that, and and I'm not asking the alderman to agree or to disagree, and I'm not I'm not I certainly I'm not trying to get into an argument. I think there are folks in the Democratic Party who have conceived of a winning coalition that includes a lot of elements that are um, criminal in major urban settings. Mm -hmm. Okay, And I regret that as a guy who was raised as a Democrat. That never was the case. I've got to interrupt. Ago. We've got to pause back to Charlie Amber's One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
Bruce Dumont back. Happy holiday season to you. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we continue our discussion of crime. And let me go ask the, the $64 million question here. Can the federal government do anything with dollars that will have any significant impact on this? I'm going to ask you, Ray, because you would be, as a member of the city council, you would be a recipient of some of those dollars, or at least figure out what happens to them. You know, I think if the federal government is going to come in with money, then I think that we have to look at a total package from the federal government. And before we start looking for that blank check of them to pay for programs galore, you know, I think that they need to focus first on sending in the uh, FBI, the ATF, and all of those other alphabet, alphabet mm -hmm. agencies to be here to actually start prosecuting crimes in federal court, not, re not in our circuit Didn't court. did Trump do that as part of his operation uh, you know late in his presidency he did and it was having some impact I will I will give uh -huh. him that um, but as of late we heard from President Biden offering the same thing but all it was was counsel not action right. um, we need action we need to get people brought into into federal court on federal charges to get them out of the communities where they are terrorizing people what are routinely. the what are the federal charges is it I mean, they could focus on guns and drugs. I mean, first and foremost, focus on what is driving a lot of the crime in the city of Chicago, which is guns and drugs. That will have an immediate impact on what's going on in the city of Chicago, because oftentimes individuals who are in either of those two categories are being released without bond or on electronic monitoring. But that comes back to a state decision, or or they well, uh, if they're arrested by the feds. Then it's not, uh, then it's out of our hands. Okay, and then it goes to a federal court. But there's no softness of bonding at the federal level, is there? No. But Chris Roebling, uh, if you were put in charge of the federal largesse that might come to any big city, not just Chicago, uh, is there a specific thing they can use it for that would make sense? Well, number one, like Bill Clinton, I would say get more cops. Get more cops because we we need more cops on the street. We're we're under-policed in the city of Chicago. Joe Biden thought that, too. Uh, it, it, it's not a bad idea. I'm just saying that, number one, but I, I think that police powers reside at the state level in our federal system, and the federal government doesn't have general police powers. They've got very specific, as Alderman points out, in relation to interstate crime. When you're talking about local street crime in California, San Francisco, in Texas, in Chicago, in, in Philadelphia, wherever, you're talking about the, fu the actual functioning of the local law enforcement mechanism. So are, are the police doing their job? Are, are the felony review prosecutors doing their job? Are the trial prosecutors doing their job? And, you know, are the judges doing their jobs? Okay. And are the jail keepers doing their you now have a state, whole okay. Now wheel. the state's attorney, the state's attorneys, uh, Kim Fox in Chicago and all over the country, there's a there's a there's a targeted state's attorney, who usually was funded by George Soros, who is focused on by Fox News and a lot of Republicans as the reason why uh, crime has gotten soft in in their neighborhoods. First of all, do you agree yeah. with that? Is there is there a, is there a money link between Soros money and a variety of uh, of uh, prosecutors, including Kim Fox? Well, clearly he's had an effort in funding a lot of those progressive, left-leaning, liberal prosecutors who choose to act more like public defenders and than you prosecutors. Didn't, you didn't prom you didn't promote her in in your primary, did you? No, I actually 
openly opposed her, opposed her uh, for someone who I felt but was... But the mayor supported her. 100%. And is also... The same prosecutor she's now been criticizing for the last exactly. year and a half. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it, it, either the Democrats are going to accept responsibility that comes with the authority and the power that they have in these municipalities, or voters are eventually going to get so sick and tired that you're going to see a whole crop of young, experienced, very sharp, Republican, you know, tough-on-crime prosecutors getting themselves elected. I mean, George Soros made Getting it, elected? Getting themselves elected. <laughs> Where are they going to get money? Oh, I, I mean, I, if, if, the Republican I that... if the Republican Party, <laughs> and again, I don't want to get too parochial here, yeah. but if the Republican Party in Cook County could not have defeated Kim Fox last time, I mean, the, she's never going to be defeated. I mean, this well, was in the wake of Jesse Smollett. And this is something that we see not just in Chicago, but where all of these prosecutors are, where they're actually calling for recalls now in certain yes. other cities. But I think what you're going to see m before you see a Republican takeover right. is you're going to see people just f voting with their feet, as the saying goes. And they're right. all going to be leaving these cities, as we're seeing populations decline in Chicago and other cities, to more conservative, right-leaning right states and cities where they know that if somebody does a crime... They will go to jail. Let me ask the question, though. For those people who may be listening that believe that, uh, that some of the, uh, the, the, the bonding issues that we had in the past were too strict, and if you were poor and black or Latino, you, you were at the short end of the stick. My question to you, and, and again, we now have people saying, well, let's just you know, get rid of the, all of that. Is there a piece of that, Alderman, that should be kept? I mean, is, the, is there a case to be made that maybe everyone has overreacted to it, but the fact is, maybe it shouldn't have been as restrictive as it has been in no, the No, absolutely. Past. You know, you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have to put some common sense and work towards finding the middle ground that alleviates some of those issues that people talk about, but also keeping bad people in jail where they belong to be when they're committed to being terrorists in their community. Yeah, I mean, look, um, the bonding issue is a part of our due process tradition. Right, right. And, and so folks deserve due process, and that due process should be equal, uh, you know, should be uh, neutral, as, as, as blindfolded as Lady Liberty herself, okay? So it, it, bonding, due process, equality, it all makes sense. Here is the gravamen of a need for a very tough bond. Priors. Priors. Yep. If people mm -hmm. have been prior offenders and if people have been violent, you have this guy in Waukesha, Waukesha right. who is basically, you know, uh, I, it's a horrible, horrible case. And he was horribly fixated on harming his spouse. Yep. And this was not unknown. So I think uh, I, I don't know. I don't think that Republicans are the only ones who can challenge the established order at this level. I think you're going to see law and order Democrats who are going to run against some of the Soros backed local well, prosecutors. So I think there's going to be a rejection of this permissiveness relative to offenders who are accused and who have violent priors. Right. I think there, without a doubt, there are Democrats who can run without being enablers to crime. Case in point. Right. I represent African Americans and Latinos. I represent 
communities that are struggling, and I've never once resorted to enabling gang or drug or violent behavior. Mm -hmm. You can run and win. The only problem is that the playbook that most Demo left-leaning Democrats are going with is that you have to enable the masses and meet them at their lowest as opposed to pursuing them and pushing them mm -hmm. to their highest. Ray, what is the current uh, possibility that you will seek higher office, <laughs> perhaps mayor of Chicago? Because people around the country, I mean, you are one of the names that they may know from the city council because you stood up <laughs> to Mayor Lightfoot. You've been a darling on Fox for quite some time now. But are you seriously thinking about it, or do you not have the, the financial bandwidth yet to make it a serious race? Well, I just have to clear up one thing. I've been, you know, a friend of this show, too. Yes, oh, yes, you have. <laughs> Before Tucker. Before Fox. Before, Before Tucker. Tucker. That's right. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yes, you I remember where I came from, so yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I know what people, and I hear it all the time, if I'm asking me if I'm going to run or not. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Any member of the city council who says they've never thought of being a mayor is a liar. Um, so, <laughs> but when so, you hear but, again, but we'll see. But I, but it, it's going to be more than just me jumping in. It'll have to be a, a whole uh, groundswell effort um, to meet her head on because it will be difficult. When you when you heard a couple of weeks ago that John Catazzaro, the head of the FOP Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago, who has also been at odds over labor management issues with the mayor, suggested or said that he's going to run for mayor. Uh, is he a serious or would he be a serious candidate in your view? Well, I think if I were the mayor of Chicago right now, if I were in Lori's position with her numbers, mm, yes, my cat would be a serious contender because her poll numbers are so horrible in this city where nearly three quarters of the citizenry polled have said that they want a new mayor. At this point, with that kind of with those kind of numbers, anyone running against her poses a threat that she cannot re rehabilitate herself from. Now in our in our elections, they are nonpartisan, as you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It is the top two, if, if no clear one candidate gets 50% plus one uh, of the votes. So anything can happen. And as we saw last time, anything did happen when many, she came out of nowhere yeah. and wound up in the top two. Many Hispanic uh, political leaders in Chicago are, they're not only left, they are very far left. They're socialist left, many of them in the city council. Yep. So being a conservative or I'm a moderate conservative such as yourself, uh, swimming in a pool of other Hispanic political leaders, would would you drown in that field if it was competitive on Election Day? No, I don't think so. I don't think that that represents the full depth or breadth of, of my Latino community, mm -hmm. least of all the city of Chicago. Chicago right. has always been more of a moderate, you know, center center left type city we've not been an extreme left or fringe left kind of kind of city mm -hmm. despite the fact that many of our leaders try to portray themselves as such mm -hmm. and i think that is what made all of our bigger cities very successful over the past because they've always kind of stayed towards the middle uh how important is smash and grab uh to you uh, chris Robley? i need a short answer to this one well i i i believe it's going to spark a revolution <laughs> i believe okay. it's that important the Gucci Revolution. Okay. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. Weigh in on the crime situation in your backyard. Are you satisfied or is it out of is it out of hand like the media suggests? Extra link.
This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Boost to my back, and it's good to have you with us wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border and around the world in this holiday season. Uh, at this time of the program, we let each of our guests uh, take an extra 15, 20 seconds and introduce themselves. And uh, we're going to begin with uh, Ray Lopez. <laughs> and good evening, Bruce, to you and all, you, all our listeners. I'm Raymond Lopez, I'm an alderman in Chicago's 15th Ward. It's on the southwest side of the city. Um, prior to becoming an alderman, uh, in 2015, I used to, I was just telling everyone I used to work for a wonderful little airline that most of you know, Southwest Airlines, was there for about 12, 13 years. Mm -hmm. Taught me how to uh, know customer service 
And I will tell you that that skill of customer service has yet to fail me in public life. <laughs> what was the spark that made you want to run for alderman? You know, uh, I was in politics when I was younger, when I was a teenager. My first campaign actually was for Bill Clinton, speaking to him earlier, uh -huh. um, in 96. Out of what ward? Uh, 20, 23rd ward. So, 23rd I, ward. so I grew up under uh, Bill Congressman Lipinski. Bill Lipinski, yeah. um, which is probably why some of my politics sounds sure. very familiar. And from um, around the country, Bill Lipinski was a very conservative uh, member of Congress. His son became a member of Congress, also conservative, who lost in a primary uh, uh, to Maureen Newman a couple of years ago. Um, so I was involved er at an early age, but, you know, it wasn't until I became a homeowner in private life in the private sector and realized just how poorly I was being treated that it propelled me to run and make a change, and here we are. Chris Roebling, you have a very distinguished uh, uh, resume, but give us the shortest well, version of it. <laughs> I, I think what stands out in my resume is that I've been a friend of this program for 40 years. <laughs> I can believe We go back... I think I, with the, with this tonight, I now have been in every place that I've been a guest every place that I've you've done the show, <laughs> right. except when you used to go out to like New Hampshire and you'd <laughs> yeah. be at a hotel ballroom or something. I didn't make those places, but every other or place. San Diego, yeah. Yeah, San Diego. Um, so anyway, it's it's always been a lot of fun to be on the program, and I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I now work pretty much, I would say, in private with private investors, private investments. Uh, sort of business development advisory services, mm -hmm. uh, frequently in the Middle East, India, uh, places like that. Uh, just one thing, is you mentioned where we do the program from. I would just say that uh, uh, we did not get a chance to say too much about Bob Dole last week as it happened oh. uh, <laughs> as we were uh, ending the broadcast. But obviously, uh, he has now been uh, laid to rest. And uh, uh, in the 40-plus year history of this program, uh, Bob Dole was absolutely the biggest name guest we ever had when he was a really big name. We were doing the program live from San Diego on the eve of the Republican convention. And uh, one of my scheduled guests was Congressman Henry Hyde. And I had several others booked. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld was booked. And also John McCain was booked. Eleanor Clift the commentator from Newsweek, they were all booked to join me in a, in a setup outside the Hyatt Hotel right by the harbor. Mm -hmm. So the biggest news that s Sunday afternoon was that Bob Dole was arriving in San Diego with his running mate, Jack Kemp. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest political story in the United States. <clears throat> and I was all excited to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And about 15 minutes before the program, Henry Hyde who I'd known for many years, he arrives early for the show. And it's very, very hot. And I said, Henry, you may want to go in and get, he was a very large man. I said, you may want to get some air conditioning. So he walks into a ballroom with sliding doors. And when he walks into the ballroom, I noticed that in the ballroom with him was Bob Dole. <laughs> Bob Dole, who had arrived at that hotel from a different entrance, which I didn't see when he arrived. And so when it came time for me to go and get Henry Hyde to be a guest on Beyond the Beltway, I asked Henry, I said, would you, and I talked to Henry for, I said, would you mind if I, he said, no, not at all. So he takes me up, he introduces me to Bob Dole, 
and I'm looking out the window. He's about 20 feet from where I'm going to do my program. Yeah. I introduce myself. I give him the, you know, the quickest, you know, I'm Bruce Dumont. <laughs> and I'm, I'm giving this whole thing. He said, oh, yeah. He said, when do you go on? And I told him, he said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So Henry comes out. We start the show. And right when I'm going into my first commercial break, the music is a playing, I see out of the corner of my eye, I see Bob Dole and an entourage of about 80 reporters and Secret <laughs> Service people marching around, getting ready to have a seat at the Beyond the Beltway panel, along with, as I mentioned, John McCain, <laughs> Eleanor Clift, uh, Don Rumsfeld, and uh, Henry Hyde. And it was absolutely, without question, um, the... Um, it, it was the, the Maybe biggest. Maybe the asp- apex. It, it was this. It was absolutely <laughs> the creme de la creme of uh, of the program. So anyway, may yeah. I may I make a, a, sure. a dull two recollections? Number one is, uh, I, uh, you know, when these guys showed up, there were frequently times when Republican staffers, right. such as myself, would be detailed to to Midway or to O'Hare or to yep. Meg's Field. So I go out to Meg's Field. I get, I get a phone call. Senator Dole is coming. He's speaking to, you know, the Pharmaceutical Association. You, you know, get him to his uh, uh, hotel, make sure everything yep. is fine. So I get out there, and I'm waiting. And sure enough, the King Air flies in, or the whatever, the Learjet. And out pops Bob Dole, big as life. And he was always taller than you expected. Yep. You know, he's about 6'2 or 6'3, stood ramrod straight. And, of course, we shake hands and say, uh, uh, Senator Dole, so, so great of you. To to, uh, to come to Chicago again, and he says to me without missing a beat, "It's so great of you to let me in." <laughs> this was the kind of guy he was. And I, who the hell am I? Number two, and this was completely forgotten. I, I'm sad to say, m- most of his um, recovery, I believe it is true, most of his recovery took place here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yes, under the. Auspice is the aegis of Dr. Kalikian, yes, who was a fabulous uh, and extraordinary practitioner, both an orthopedic uh, surgeon, and he had another. Was I think he at was, the rehabilitation because I'm not Bob sure. Was, Dole, Bob Dole would reference him on a number of yeah, occasions. He, right, it, yeah, whenever he was in Chicago, he always thought about Kalikian, and he always visited Kalikian until he died. Other, until the doctor uh, passed the away. Other, what, the Always. other thing I just want to put, because I, I, I didn't hear this, and again, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, so we're talking about it tonight. But uh, when, when Bob Dole was nominated uh, in 1992 to run, and he selected uh, Jack Kemp because he was younger and they, they would get along on a variety of issues. 96. <clears throat> 90, the 96. So, yeah, 96. So what had happened is the California Republican Party with, with Pete Wilson had really jacked up the uh, the the, uh, the issue of illegal immigration. Yes, to a degree that Pete Was Wilson it? came from about twenty points behind and won the election. It looked like the. It looked like the way that the Republican Party was going to take that issue, and everything that Donald Trump did umpteen years later. This was happening in the wake of the success mm-hmm. of Pete Wilson in California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when Bob Dole <clears throat> gave his acceptance speech in San Diego, mm-hmm. he specifically zeroed in and said, this is a road we will not travel down. He refused to travel down the illegal immigration issue 
mm-hmm. making Hispanics uh, illegal Hispanics. You know the the uh, the, the boogeyman. Blood, uh, the yeah. boogeyman. Right, right, right. He didn't right. do it. He he went well, the he complete had... opposite direction. No, he lost the election. But what? the reality is, uh, he, he took a high road and uh, it it led to defeat. But I I, I think the the entire mm-hmm. Wilson uh, flirtation with illegal immigration is a is a story. It's it's sort of a PhD thesis that maybe has not yet been written. I I will say this about Dole and uh, immigration. You know, when Reagan was president and they rewrote the entire uh, uh, immigration law, uh, not Jackson Vanek, I'm blanking on it, uh, Simpson-Mazzoli. The Simpson-Mazzoli, Alan Simpson from the Senate and Congressman Mazzoli, the Democrat from, I think, Kentucky in the House, Bob Dole was the floor manager to get that bill passed. And that <clears throat> bill actually, you know, it, it included some uh, forgiveness. It included some path to citizenship. Mm-hmm. It included a lot of enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so Dole certainly wasn't just saying that to distinguish himself from Pete Wilson and the California Republicans. It was something that he had uh, actually acted on yeah. in the Senate, right? No, he, he clearly had, but but again, to to the more firebrands in the in the Republican Party, he right. was a, a rhino or a turncoat. Although in in 2016, he was a Trump supporter. He was in the Trump mm-hmm. box at mm-hmm. the convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't anything that he ever said against uh, Donald Trump. Right. Although he was a completely different guy. He was the he was a get along, go along guy. He was the guy that a lot of Democrats liked because uh, he agreed with them on many issues. And and so, mm-hmm. you know, his his time came and passed. And again, this was long after he he gave his arm. Uh, you know, uh, in service to the country uh, when he lost his arm. So, again, uh, we spent a little more time on, on Bob Dole than I was going to, but, again, I think it was important uh, to do that. And, again, uh, uh, while we're in this mood, I'm going to take a, a, a moment of a personal uh, privilege here uh, to mention that uh, we have lost a longtime listener and a very big fan of this program, Elizabeth Marshall. Elizabeth Marshall died of cancer after a long bout with cancer. She was a regular listener to this program, and we offer our condolences to her husband, Greg, and her three children, one of which uh, was Andrew Marshall, a name that you may be familiar. He used to produce this program, produced it for about a year and a half, started when he was uh, in high school at North Shore, and then he went off to to college, now going to uh, uh, Villanova, and again, uh, uh, I learned the other day that his uh, mother passed away, mm-hmm. and he was he's just 21 years old, so it reminded me of the, the time I lost my mother at the same age. So, again, she was a long-time listener to this program, but, again, uh, uh, she will always be remembered uh, by Andrew, and, again, uh, he may have one less cheerleader on his side, but there's a lot of people that will be cheering and wishing him uh, well this evening. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. 
Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Roostermont back. We continue, and let's uh, take some calls. Uh, we have been monopolizing the microphones here. Russell is listening to us on KLBJ in Austin, Texas. Go ahead, Russell. Are you there? Russell, are you there? Well, you know what? Russell must be using that old uh, string and Dixie cup. Yeah. Tonight, so we're going to say farewell to him. If he calls back, uh, let's uh, let's put him on the air. Um, I want to go back to the crime wave and and what, if anything, the expectation is of police departments. Because how are police? I mean, how is the police department in Chicago reacting to the pressure from the public and uh, you know the, the outrageous comments that uh, the mayor makes from time to time? Well, I think you see the same the same morale that the city of Chicago's police officers have is not just here, but throughout throughout a lot of the big cities where the defund the police movement has been at the top of the order, where police are constantly being pillared and being made to be the targets as opposed to being the heroes that they are. Has it, there really been that much defunding of police? 
I, I know it's an issue, but I mean, if we were to look at the dollars and cents, I th- have they, has there really been much of that? Well, I think it's a matter of how you classify <clears throat> defunding. I mean, you don't have to go to the extreme as Minneapolis did and cut budgets. You can actually just withhold spending, as we do yeah. in the city of Chicago. I mean, Lori Lightfoot has never professed to want to, quote-unquote, defund the police. However, she does her darndest to do it through attrition and to not hire, you know, we talk about needing more police, but the city of Chicago has operated with almost a 1,000 vacant police officer positions every year since she's taken office. So she's purposefully withholding filling those spots as a form of defunding the police, and that has an impact. There, there's no, there, there really is no other explanation for the behavior of these Democratic office holders in these big cities, sometimes including the mayor, sometimes including the local prosecutor, sometimes including local sort of uh, civil defense or, or public safety people or um, alder people, like not, not present company excluded. Thank you. The Democratic Party has a vision of electoral success mm-hmm. that includes complete participation by that element of society. Now, that's that is just incontrovertible. The criminal element, right? And 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 I want to say <clears> that <throat> the so de, so-called defunding the police has two origins: a, what I just said, the turnout issue, and b, <clears throat> when you defund, we talked about Catanzaro a minute ago. When you def, the, people say defund the police, they're saying spend less on the uniforms. You spend less on the uniforms and you are spending less on one of the very few unions that does not support the left-wing agenda of the Democratic Party. And where do they want that money to go? They want it to go into positions for AFSCME and AFGE. In other words, the unions that are supporting the left-wing agenda of the Democratic Party. So defunding the police, go, defunding back. the police has always been <clears throat> about electoral turnout and repaying union support. But the people that are actually doing the crime, the smashers, the grabbers, right. the, the, the the real criminals, criminals, right? Do you really believe that they are card-carrying Democrats? Oh, I know. I'm not saying that they, the criminals themselves are. I think that there is, sadly, sadly, in 2021. Yeah. There is a phalanx of society which is promoting the fundamentally false, erroneous, misleading, misguided sort of the police are the problem at the local level story. And and is that are are they are those people? But, but hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I, we're from Chicago, yeah. and and I know it's a national program. I was commissioner of elections in the city of Chicago. Right. I, I helped with voter <clears> registration <throat> mm-hmm. in every ward. We registered thousands and thousands of people. I'm very right. proud of that. We ran elections all over the city of Chicago. <clears throat> mm-hmm. if, you, if anybody thinks that gangs are not involved in get out the vote and political turnout in the city of Chicago, or for that matter, San Francisco or any Philly. Big, or Any big city. Mm-hmm. If anybody thinks that, quote, gangs, unquote, I'm not saying the guy who smashed and grabbed at the Hermes store is a precinct. I, that, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is organized there's an, gangs. There's an overlap between the dem- the local Democratic parties and its and their ideology and the. Do you agree with that, Ray? I, I do, do. agree with that. I do, and that's that's something that's part of American <clears> history. <throat> Look at Boston. The Irish mob used to be the one that would, would be the political muscle in that city. The criminality 
and the connection with crime and politics is as old as this country. What I do think is you also have uh, this new trend. Every city, every big city knows about patronage. We know that politicians like to give their friends contracts and Mm -hmm. things of that nature. And right now, woke patronage is giving money to those organizations that enable and help the criminal element to continue and persist without any kind of metrics for success. You could take a program and say, oh, it's about reducing violence, never ask what they do, give them hundreds of thousands of dollars just so that they could in turn return that favor to the politician months from now when they seek re-election. I think that's exactly what we're referring to. And that's nothing new. If we were to try to go back to where the problem began in Chicago, because I think it, 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 it grew out of what happened in Chicago and Seattle and Portland. I'm specifically talking about the riots that took place a couple of years ago uh, when uh, the smash and grab and the robberies and sure, the lootings yeah. and the violence on yeah. North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, which became an international yeah. story. It became an international story because the Democrat mayor of Chicago, even though she doesn't run as a Democrat, but certainly the Democrat governor of the state of Illinois, they did not ask for nor demand the National Guard in time. They, didn't they did, know, it, two well, days, they did before, it two days yeah, later. Look, long, long before <clears throat> asking for the National Guard, she had the cops stand down. So the cops are sitting, standing on the sidelines watching these things happen and i'm not i, I don't think want that to was the big mistake i want to i want to, I want to get raised quick response to that is is that where this all began to sort of unravel at least in public perception because there was so much visibility about that rampaging crime on north michigan avenue and the rioting but all i'll say i could hear the break we knew what was coming we knew that people were coming out of town organized and when you willingly tell your your defense relax and welcome them in as righteous protesters, you basically allowed them to come into your home. We've got to pause. When we come back, we will solve the problems of Russian adventurism. Don't go away. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? 
Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back, hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. And uh, a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Nigel Rabb from uh, Loyola Marymount University. But... Uh, uh, we continue our discussion here, and, uh, you know, one of the issues that uh, people are at least are, are writing in about, uh, sending us notes on, and it's a diversion of uh, what we generally talk about, but uh, Chris Wallace announced today that he is leaving Fox News, mm-hmm. and uh, a few hours later, he announced that he's going to be jumping to uh, CNN. Uh, <laughs> does that surprise you? I'm, as a broadcast guy, I had the privilege of working in a variety of broadcasts. Yeah. Situation. I'm stunned. I think CNN is on a, a close to a deathbed. I mean, maybe it's on a gurney in the hallway if it's not on the deathbed. But I, I'm stunned that he would take his credibility to such a hellhole of bias and uh, political manipulation. What do you think, Ray? You know, I was glad for him when i heard his announcement that he was retiring i figured hey you know it's been a a great career right um and then when i saw that he was going to cnn plus the (laughs) the antithesis of the fox news (laughs) streaming service i actually thought it was a joke i thought it was like uh one of those onion articles that i misread (laughs) that i misread um but apparently it isn't the battle i was was, yes i I was because i was i was shocked when i heard at the end of the uh, broadcast today and uh, that he's been there for 18 years. And then he said this is his last show. So after 18 years, he's not even giving two weeks' notice. That kind of surprised me. And I said, well, something's up. So then it, it, it dawned on me. I said, you know, you know what this move is going to be? He's going to go to 60 Minutes like his father. That's going to be the full circle of his career. It'll be, right, it'll be a great, right, right. great, it'll be a really big move up. And he, he would be terrific on 60 Minutes. He would be. Yeah, yeah. And then about two hours later, when I heard that he had jumped to, uh, you know, a streaming service for CNN, I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I mean, just a I streaming the, service the for... The amount of money. This, of, this is a network whose biggest show maybe, maybe is number 15 
on any given night yeah. where the 14 ahead of it are all at Fox. Yeah. So that's that's the... He didn't even get the Cuomo time slot. Right. That, <laughs> that's the nameplate operation. Yeah. And for this to be a streaming service thereof, this just sounds bizarre. Yeah. It sounds really crazy. Uh, where can people get quality news? I think people have to find... I can tell you what I do. I use YouTube uh, and I watch actual events... And I decide for myself. I watch Biden speaking for three minutes in the Rose Garden. Mm-hmm. I watch um, the the White House uh, press secretary speak. The the State Department spokesman, um, Senator Cruz, Senator Hawley, or for that matter, Senator um, uh, 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 Chuck Sh- uh, Schumer, Schumer, uh, or or Democratic members of the House. I I try to watch the actual events and decide for myself. Mm-hmm. Ray, I watch London. Go to Sky News. Okay. You know, I, if, when it comes to something American related, I'll watch Sky News, it's just because I figure, you know, I know I've been on Fox. We, I like talking about CNN. Yeah. MSNBC won't call me, but you know what? They all have a they all have an audience that they're appealing to. If you want something a hundred percent objective, it has to be something that we're probably never going to see, which is Sky News from London. Yeah. And that's that's a great that is a great choice. And when I travel internationally. I think CNN International is considerably better than what we get here in the United yeah. States. But I don't think, I, if you can get CNN International here, I don't think we can get it on my service, whatever that is. I so want to, uh, it'll uh, be on CNN Plus. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Curated by Chris and, Wall. And you'll, and you'll have to pay for it. You'll yeah. have to pay for it. Um, I'm going to switch into uh, our discussion of our, our planned topic, even though uh, Nigel Robb has not... Uh, uh, joined us as yet, and that is uh, Russia's current yeah. uh, engagement uh, along the border with Ukraine, the buildup of uh, you know, several hundred thousand troops. Um, what do you think they're up to, Chris? You're a you're a world traveler, and well, I'm a Russian history buff. Russian uh, history buff, and 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 I think it's very clear. You know, Putin's sense of Russia includes the Ukraine. And his brand of Russian nationalism doesn't admit of any status for Ukrainian nationalism or Ukrainian independence. He came very close to taking over the Ukraine a few years ago when Obama was in office. And he did not do so, and I'll tell you why. He didn't do so because there was no way he could actually penetrate the central Ukraine without damage to the very pipelines that carry Russian gas to the West. So they decided to pull back, so to speak. I, I use the term advisedly. And they built the Nord Stream Pipeline. Uh, President Biden, in his infinite wisdom, decided to allow the Nord Stream Pipeline to go ahead. And um, it's now almost operational. And when it is operational, then there, and there no interruption to the Ukrainian pipeline would seriously injure Russia, because they have the alternative mechanism for delivery, which is the Nord Stream pipeline. Mm-hmm. So sadly, um, I think President Biden and his team have, um, you know, just to fulfill prior, you know, he's always been on the wrong side of every major foreign yeah. policy issue, and that record is intact. What? But what? What can the United States do, Ray? In your view, what can the United States do to to stop him? I mean, they can issue a strong letter, they can sanction them, and what else can they really do? 
I mean, that's about all they can do right now because unless they're planning on using some military force or if they're going to start beefing up our NATO allies or if they're going to admit, you know, further Ukraine. engagement yep. or the Ukraine into NATO, we're not going to do anything forceful. And he knows it. He knows that he can bully us right <clears throat> now. And I hate to say it. Biden and Trump are two very different people. And what probably prevented this from happening with Trump is that if Trump were pushed, nobody knows how he would have reacted. Mm -hmm. He would not have been timid in trying to make right. his, his views known. Where I think Putin sees Biden's negotiation as being timid, as being weak, and he thinks he has an opening to move forward any way he chooses. Mm -hmm. Nigel Rabb joins us from California. Nigel, are you with us this evening? I'm here, Bruce. Excellent. Nice to be back. Nice Hello, to be back. everybody. Very good. Let me good ask you a quick question. We're going to go to a break, but uh, in 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 a, in a minute, what do you think uh, Putin is up to now? What's his current card? So I just I only yeah I only got um, onto the line like two minutes ago, so I missed okay. the beginning of the conversation. Okay. But I actually think he's, I, I'm, I don't think, correct me, if, you know, I might be wrong, but I don't think he's going to invade Ukraine. But I think he's sending a message to the West about how they might want to deal with Ukraine. And I think the NATO issue is just, it's the issue that's been around for the last 30 years that, that really um, drives the Russians nuts, I suppose. And they just don't want to see any talk about Ukraine and NATO. And so I think that's what he's interested in. And then, so, of course, yeah, for, as he wrote for the Kremlin, that yeah. historical essay, uh, he believes that Ukrainians are a lot closer to the Russians than many Ukrainians would like to yeah. believe. Yeah. Uh, we do have to break right now. When we come back, I want to expand our discussion of uh, Russian history and uh, your uh, area of expertise, along with Chris Roebling and uh, our guest in studio, uh, Raymond Lopez. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289 if you have any questions about Russian involvement and is a war with Russia inevitable? That's the question. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. 
This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Nigel Rabb joins us. He is a Russian history expert uh, professor uh, at uh, Loyola Marymount, a longtime uh, professor there. And uh, I asked the question before the break, is war with, uh, with Russia inevitable? I want to I want to put that I want to table that question for a little bit and ask uh, at this moment, Nigel, what is the relationship uh, between uh, Russia and uh, North Korea and China? How would you describe the relationship uh, that exists between uh, those power entities? Oh, I would. I, mean, I North Korea. I don't. I I don't think it's as significant as the relationship with China. And I think the relationship with China is fine as it goes. I mean, I, I do think. One of the adjustments that Russia has made over the last 20 years is it, I think it realizes that it's economically much smaller. The population in Russia is 10 times less than in China. And so in, in those economic terms, it's not a major partner. Mm-hmm. Militarily, it's something different. And that's, al- that's almost a throwback to the Soviet years where, mm-hmm. you know, Russia is still a major military power and they have that long border together. But um, I think what Russia is doing especially with all the talk about sanctions with the West, I mean, Russia understands it has to reposition itself with China. And China is, I guess, um, a figure in this or a, a power in this that wasn't around during the Cold War in the same way. And so, you know, Russia understands it has to build build strong relations with China so that it has, a, I suppose, an out if there are sanctions with with the West and let all those goods come in by train through Manjuli, something like that on the Chinese-Russian border. You know, a a couple of, uh, for the last couple of weeks, when people have been talking about uh, the, the the summit with, uh, with Putin and the relations uh, and the building up of of troops on the border, uh, there have been some armchair quarterbacks uh, who have basically said, well, we have to be very careful because the Russians uh, could invade Ukraine and that would send a signal that it's okay for China 
to invade uh, Taiwan, and that would send a signal uh, to North Korea that it's time for them to go into South Korea. Uh, th that, that obviously is a, is a doomsday scenario, but is there any truth to that, that one would be inspired to be more adventurous because the other took the lead? Nigel? I don't think... I don't think in terms of a domino effect, but I, what I would think is that in terms of the American position in the role weakening, those larger powers will look to these areas. I would see Taiwan and Ukraine as very different because Ukraine is a border region. And so I know on a map, you can look at a nice line of the, the way the geographer draws it and separate the two countries. But part of the problem is in the eastern areas of Ukraine, there's a very, very large Russian population. And I also don't think in the heart of his heart, Putin wants to invade all of Ukraine. I mean, that would be a, a completely unmanageable scenario for the Kremlin during a coronavirus. And so China might be tempted to take over an island. But I, I, I have a hard time imagining that Putin and his generals really want the entire country of Ukraine. So. Chris Roebling, your response to my question about how, how one leader could be moved, uh, inspired by the uh, adventurism of another. Well, I, I, I think the current day axis of evil is uh, Russia and China and uh, smaller, significantly smaller parts played by Iran and uh, North Korea. And I think that um, what is the requirement for leadership at the nation state level um, whether you're, you know, France or Germany, UK, Brazil, US, you've got to see these things as interrelated. Uh, but I, I agree with the professor. I don't necessarily see a domino thing set up. But if the West is weak, then the opponents of liberty are going to exploit that weakness as far as they can manage and that's a very important point that the professor made about the indigestibility of the whole of the ukraine and the ukraine is bigger than france mm -hmm. so this is a big deal there are many millions of people there and during a pandemic what percentage are russian isn't it I don't know, i'll defer to the president i, I to uh, the professor i'd say probably 15 about, 20 about just under 20. yeah okay and so I was, you know, Ukraine, I, you mean. Hey, yeah, just under 20. It's been a while since I was in class, <laughs> professor. But I uh, must have been awake that day. Yeah, I, I was awake that day. <laughs> anyway, so you got to look at these things as an integrated whole. And the West has got to respond, I think, in a similarly integrated way. And, um, you know, the, because if folks feel that there are no that that no pun intended, the sanction is is light then they're going to exploit the circumstances. How, how effective have the sanctions been thus far that we have imposed because of a variety of things? Has there been a significant, uh, have they been hurt in some significant way, Nigel? Yeah, I mean, I think the economy is doing, is not doing as good as it would if there had been no sanctions. And I, mm -hmm. what, one thing I think is important is that when the, the, Around that time when sanctions were imposed, and I know there have been all sorts of sanctions in between and up and down, but you know Russia was not interested in isolating itself from the West and really wanted to encourage German businesses and whatnot to actually participate in the Russian economy. And so 
on the one hand, sanctions have actually, yeah, hurt the economy, which hurts Putin's popularity rating, which are, but are still high. But on the other hand, it has the, the effect of almost of like isolating Russia and turning it back to the Soviet years when it had an isolated economy, which actually was not Putin's original intent. Ray, when you talk with your friends and neighbors uh, on the southwest side of Chicago, do they have any discussion about this at all? Are they worried about Russia, or are they only focused on, uh, let's say, Mexico-U.S. relations? I don't think most Americans are focused on any kind of foreign relations, period. I, I don't I don't think that in my communities that I represent mm -hmm. that they're necessarily aware that there are 100,000 Russian soldiers mobilizing on a foreign uh, government's borders with right. them in, in the hopes of possible invasion. That doesn't even register in their awareness because of everything else that's going on. But I think the fact that you have a situation where you have one country preparing in what looks like an invasion, you have the G7 looking like it's completely inept and impotent with a four-paragraph statement saying, please don't do this because that's not what we do. You know, that's not going to intimidate any foreign power. And to be honest, I think I'm going to disagree with everybody when I say that I do think you do have a, a opportunity for a domino effect. Because if you look at China, which has more people than it knows what to do with, 100,000 soldiers on the borders is, is like nothing to them. And they could overwhelm just by sheer numbers if they feel that the United States is going to be overly political and trying to figure out how to address the Ukraine once the Congress shows that it's divided and probably would fumble any kind of attempt to try and protect its, its our allies. Well, if I may, kind of quickly, I, th sure. I think that, um, and obviously we travel in, in different circles, I'm not in the alderman's ward, but um, I think Americans are aware of the fact that we were routed in Afghanistan. Yes. And I think Americans are aware of the fact that China's trying to um, supersede us and start a new epoch, uh, a China-dominant epoch. I think they're aware that Putin's a bad guy and that he's a KGB guy, and which means he's a bad guy. And, um, uh, and I think they know that the world generally is a dangerous place. But right now, they're, facing, they're, they're looking mm -hmm. at their, um, their, their gains in income being outstripped by inflation and the fact that, you know, Christmas dinner is going to cost more for less this year than last. And I mm -hmm. think they have concerns, uh, ongoing concerns about crime, as we discussed in the first hour. So I think that international relations, at, one says, at, as usual, is a little bit farther down the list. What, what, what is happening internally um, in Russia, uh, Nigel? I mean, uh, how politically, obviously, he's proven is politically solid, but is there any weakness at all? Um, well, I just want to go back to, quickly go back to what was said about the, the domino effect, because yeah. one of the things about the G7 intervening, I agree that, like, the statement, I think it was made today about, you know, there will be consequences. I just can't for the life of me think what the West can possibly do. I mean, it, it's just inconceivable that there would be a military invasion. And then the other side of that is, that's why I don't think China is, is you know, being tempted by inactivity here, because I think everybody knows there's just so little that can be done by the West, especially what's happened over the last 30 years. I mean, that's a, that's a long period of time where post-Soviet Ukraine has, has been floundering. I mean, there have been very few bright spots in that area and, and Russians know it and everybody knows. It. So um, back to the, sorry, the internal parts in, in Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, Russia is having, yeah, a bit of an authoritarian clampdown. And I think 
sort of when like Memorial, which is the group that is designed to preserve the memory of Soviet labor camps and stuff like that. So people don't forget the persecution. Mm -hmm. They recently were declared a foreign agent and there was a court case. I think that that was last week. Um, I don't know what the outcome yet, but um, you know, stuff like that. So they are clamping down. There's the Navalny issue who was arrested and in prison. So there's a lot of political clampdown going on in Russia today, which is, which is worrisome. So I mean, I, I think that, you know, we there was a lot of questions. I, I went to Russia a lot in the 1990s, and I think people had a, a, a lot of different ideas about where Russia was going to end up. And will it become some version, some russified Western liberal democracy? And the, we've got the answer to that. It's no. Russia has gone into, and I don't, I don't want to, uh, Professor, I don't feel qualified to use these words as you would, but I, I'm going to say it's an authoritarian dictatorship that ha- in which uh, Putin marshaled the economic elements of privatization and the sort of transformation of the economy, and he married those up with his KGB network to create a political framework that is basically squelched opposition. Nigel, I want to get your reaction. Also, Ray's reaction when we continue, but the Christmas music is a plan. That means we're going to a break. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast and Border to Border around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. 
A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we're going to begin by asking uh, Nigel Rabb. Dr. Rabb joins us from his palatial home in California, where he's a professor at Loyola Marymount University. Uh, Nigel, tell everybody a little bit about uh, your background. Professor of Russian history at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, but I am not a native Angelino. Uh-huh. I actually come from Montreal, which is in Quebec, Canada, right. which is a quite a cold city. So I warmed up by coming to Los Angeles. And uh, <laughs> I actually, because I grew up in a cold environment, I like going to Moscow because Moscow is just like Montreal in terms of its coldness. So, mm-hmm. And my last, as a little thing, my last COVID trip, my last real international trip just before COVID in January of 2020, I went to Yakutsk in Siberia, which was, I mean, just last week, it was something like minus 55, but it's a really nice northern Siberian city. So that's that's what I like to do. What is happening uh, with COVID in Russia? How are they dealing COVID with COVID in Russia is, is actually interesting because, I mean, on the one hand, I mean, you get the numbers, but people question the numbers, but they, the, the vaccine works. What's amazing the other part of that is, which is politically significant, is very few people want to take it. So the vaccination rate in Russia is very, very low, even though they have a vaccine, which you think would be a source of national pride. But there's there's suspicion about taking the vaccine. So they do. And they have shutdowns and they, you know, it's managed like that. But it's a difficult situation. And, and Putin, who you think could convince anybody of anything, he has a hard time convincing people to take the vaccine. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to the world of politics. Uh, Chris Roman, mm-hmm. tell everybody about your background. Well, I... I Briefly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, a big um, fan of Russia and Russian history. And I was going to ask Professor Rabb, remember Good. we were going to ask... Yeah. Go ahead. We're coming to the end of the year, which means we're coming to New Year's Day, which is a very special day in Russia. And I know that you've written about Soviet culture <laughs> and about film. And I just wonder... To you personally, the meaning of the irony of fate or enjoy your bath? I mean, I know the film. I know it well. It's a, it is a, Wait, what was the bring question? everybody else into it, right? It's a landmark of Soviet comedy yes. yeah. and well, irony. And it is actually yeah. extraordinarily, it is a, it, I think it stands in world cinema as, as truly one of the greatest movies. And it, it does. It ended up becoming a national event. So Russian TV yeah. would play it every New Year's Eve at okay. a certain hour. So yeah. much so that folks around I, the entire country... Go ahead. Go ahead. Can I tell you a great scene from that film? Absolutely. Because it it's the Soviets and they're telling jokes about themselves. Yeah. 
is the yeah. four guys go to the airport to let a friend they're seeing him off at the airport and they drink 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 too much and the wrong guy gets on the plane and he arrives i guess he's flying moscow st petersburg he goes in st petersburg and he says to the the taxi driver you know i'd like to go this is the premise of the film i want to go to 12 lennon street apartment 22 and the taxi driver says no problem and takes him to this place and he arrives and he's completely drunk and he goes into the building and puts his key in the building and it works and he goes to the apartment puts his key in the apartment and it works the joke being every single apartment in the soviet union is exactly the same and designed exactly <laughs> the same over and over again and then it in what happens is he actually is in this apartment of this woman and she's shocked when he gets home but they're making fun of the fact that all soviet apartment blocks are exactly the same so keys, it's a good keys, film keys, keys, I recommend are it. keys are useless there there is there is a heck of a lot to this movie especially if you love russia uh well there's not yeah, a lot it's, there's it's not great. A, but but chris there's not a lot of people listening to the program this evening that love russia <laughs> they may think you, you know, are a communist. You know that prior, hold on a second, prior, I, prior, to, prior to the, the Cold War. Yes. Prior to the Cold War, well, definitely prior to the revolution, yeah. our relations with Russia were distinguished by extraordinary cooperation from, uh, from, from mm -hmm. the period of uh, Catherine the Great. That's uh, a long time ago. That'd be Firefox. I know, I know, but I, I, I think that we have to <laughs> keep these things in mind. I love history. You Okay. You got like a discount on Alaska. I mean, that was a good purchase. Yeah, yeah. I, and I have lived in Alaska, like you, Professor. I, I was up in Nome. I lived in Nome. I had a lot of listeners mm, in Magadan. You know Nome. Nome. The Nome people. I was. Yeah, we were at KNOM. Did you have a, did you have a Nome? Seven eighty a.m. Radio station. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were on a clear Ray channel. Lopez, bring us, bring <laughs> us back, bring us back to reality. Uh, well, I you know I probably relate to like most of the listeners here who who's only like, uh, what the hell are they talking about on the radio? Who's They're talking about a Russian movie? Who's only who's only connection to Russia is probably watching the Hunt for Red October with uh, Sean yeah, Connery. There you go. Um, but seriously, you know, I I think my question for the professor would be, you know, we know that um, Putin can run again in twenty twenty four, you know. Does it look like he's going to be seeking re-election? Because I think um, when you look at some of the policies and things that he's doing, he, if he's in a position to know that his administration will outlast Biden's or Harris or Trump 2.0 or oh, Pence, yeah. Pence, yeah, yeah. Pence 1.0, yeah. you know, is that something that he's going to be taking full advantage of? Or do you think he's going to hand, hand it off in the great Russian tradition of giving it to somebody who could still control no, I, I think he'll continue. I think he'll continue. And I, I do think, um, because one of the, I, I think one of the problems they're going to face, I mean, ultimately, I, Putin wants a stable Russia and he wants a healthy Russia. He's, you know, he's interested in, in the country he grew up in. But I think they'll have a hard time finding a successor. And there's always the risk, the longer he stays, the more turmoil you'll have when you transition to a new regime because he'll have been there so long nobody knows anything different the other thing i also personally think i think he's got a counter on his desk like he surpassed brezhnev and now he's going for stalin i think he in terms of length of ruler and he might even have the tsars there in terms of trying to be the longest ever russian ruler i do think mm -hmm. i do think he's aware of that <laughs> is interesting. Uh, interesting uh in a sit down with the two men and i i don't 
I don't know whether you've met either Joe Biden or uh, Putin, uh, but is is Putin light years ahead of our president insofar as intellect and cunning? Um, Nigel? Good question. He, in the summer, this is interesting, because he published a long, long, historically argued piece, which is on the Kremlin website, in which he's arguing why Ukrainians and Russians share the same interests. I mean, I mean, he had somebody write this for him. I don't think he wrote it himself because it's it's properly researched and properly argued, which he's been so busy doing other things. But it's very interesting that uh, the president would would have his name attached to such a such a you know. I, I disagree with the contents, but it's a well well researched piece, and and so I think he is very good at that, and I think he has managed i think we underestimate this there are a lot of powerful forces in moscow other than himself and he has managed this this highly centralized system which can potentially you know become unstable so he's done that well and he's been there longer and i think he's got that advantage over biden although biden was has been in american government for you know for decades so biden has more experience in all the other in the well, not all, but in other legislative branches and stuff like that. What about what about so. cybersecurity and 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 cyber attacks and the use of uh, uh, cyber uh, military operations? Are they uh, uh, are are they behind us? Are they ahead of us? Are they light years ahead of us? Where are they compared to the United States? And where are they compared to uh, China? So that one is difficult for me to judge. And I remember, and I think it was the last time I was on the show. Bruce, you had an expert in cybersecurity on the show yeah. who who Giant really Andrew. knew yeah. sort of where where they were at with their cybersecurity. I uh -huh. just, I mean, I'm no, I'm not an expert on that. I'd be misrepresenting myself if I said I was an expert. But the Russians are very good at that type of thing, and it tends to be they will fund it because their military budgets are very important to them, and they will fund it'll get extra funding over over maybe building a bridge across a river somewhere in that vast country. Chris Robling, a question to you. Uh, in, in the world of, of, of powerful nations and, and despots, uh, where does the United States rank insofar as um, cyber sophistication? Well, <clears throat> I think uh, as a national actor, I think we're probably close to the top. Uh, as a nation, I think that we're uh, in the top five, maybe the top ten. Uh, and here is what I mean by that. You, you can go to Bulgaria, and as a national actor, Bulgaria is not a tremendous force in cyber, but they've got very, very brilliant Eastern Europeans who are working in and through Bulgaria. And this is not a slam on Bulgaria. The same thing is happening to some extent in Romania and, and in the Ukraine, and especially mm -hmm. Kiev. You know, you've got big, big cyber breaches that can be traced back to Kiev. Um, but these uh, folks who ha don't have uh, a lot of other economic or highly remunerative options tend to gravitate into these things. And, and so there are some very smart people in the Eastern Bloc countries, if you'll allow the use of that term. Um, then you've got places like China, which as a state actor is extremely high up on the, on the tote board and whose economy is also supporting a vast network of um, cyber hackers and things like this. I, I'm involved in endpoint security and I'm involved in uh, critical infrastructure security. And I can tell you that I think we still have the finest in both categories, but um, none of this is uh, static. 
Everything is changing. No one is waiting for the United States to get its act together. No one is waiting for California or for Illinois or for the latest bill to be signed in South Carolina or Florida. These countries are at this day in, day out. And there is, I think, a lot of, for lack of a better term, pollution of cyber fintech, for instance. When we, it's when going we, on. When we come back, I want to talk more about that. And I want to talk about whether they are insular and they want their power within their current group, or are there are portions of them still want to beef up Russia because they, they came from there or once were part of the Soviet Union. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back, and uh, the question that I asked to you, uh, Chris Roebling, was uh, you mentioned these former Soviet bloc uh, countries that now have their own competitive uh, cybersecurity activity going on. Or hacking. Or hacking going on, but we're talking about the negative side of it. Um, Are they doing it for themselves, or are they trying to, to assist... Uh, Russia in any way, or or has that tie been? Uh, I think been they're cut? they are uh, they're out for hire. Uh, we we had a uh, there was a blockade in the Persian Gulf mm-hmm. for several years. Yeah. It was Egypt and UAE, Bahrain and Saudi on one side, Qatar on the other, and I can tell you that uh, they these these elements were very active in that. Uh, I think that it's probably the case. I can't say perso- for, for sure, but I think they were hired by different players in that blockade situation mm-hmm. to mess with whoever they thought was their adversary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a tough, mean world out there. And, and I think if Putin called and said, uh, I, need, I need 50 of your best guys, uh, they'd, give, they'd give him a quote. But Putin's got his own best guys, and they, mm-hmm. we, as we saw, they're, they're, uh, they've got the nicest downtown Moscow digs. Nigel, what, what, what is your assessment of the relations between Russia and its former satellite nations and operatives? I don't, and I don't just just mean the nations themselves, but I mean leaders within those nations. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the nations themselves. So, so, for example, the three big Slavic nations, I think Lukashenko and Putin are much closer than Zelensky in, um, in Ukraine. Because Ukraine is pushing, pushing west, from, from, at least from Kiev's perspective, whereas Lukashenko, who's been around forever in Belarus, is, is not doing anything like that. The, the Baltic states, not good. That, just not good relations Mm -hmm. and and other places too you know like there's georgia and armenia and and sometimes there when you look at armenia and azerbaijan they have so many problems with each other that the the russian russians almost a sort of a, a referee in some of their own local problems i mean that's not how they want it but you know these borderlands have their own own internal conflicts so we, so it's we, not just about like Armenia, Russia. We began the discussion here in Chicago about crime in America, and primarily in the in the big cities. Uh, a few years ago, there was there was a lot of coverage of organized crime in Russia, and so my question to you is: How widespread is organized crime in Russia, and to what extent uh, uh, has that uh, proclivity uh, translated uh, into other? former Soviet states. I mean, is, are we talking about uh, collective corrupt museum uh, uh, or uh, uh, regimes everywhere? Well, I guess what, what happened, and this is one of the reasons why Putin was so popular in the 90s in Russia, it was, it was organized crime all over the place. I mean, I was even in a hotel in Siberia where there was just like four floors below us some you know just some shootout or something like that and that was that was russia in the 90s mm-hmm. so russia itself is much much safer than it was i mean part of that is because uh it's a stable to use um another what word that's already spoken here it was a stable it's a stable authoritarian regime and authoritarian mm-hmm. regimes don't like don't like mafia style 
crime. It, right. It's in places in southern Russia, like Chechnya and Dagestan, which are part of Russia. They're not independent states where you have some, you know, you have more organized crime. So to, that's to what extent those are where the areas are problematic. But Russia is better than to it what, used to be. To what extent is uh, international uh, cyber pornography, uh, sex trafficking, uh, is that and ransomware. And ransomware. To what extent is that a premier a money maker for for any of these entities that we've been discussing? Chris Roebling, do you know? Would I? I don't have any uh, audited financials. No, I know. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not in the business from the Russian point. I can tell you. I can tell you. Am I wrong? Am I no, wrong in no, suggesting I, that that, no. that is the, the 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 focal point that much of world or well, much of uh, uh, pornography I, on the internet? originates from the former Soviet Union. I, I, I think that, that may well be true. I, d I can't really say, but I can say this. If you go to Dubai, you better be ready to see a lot of Russian mobsters doing a lot of things, not disturbing the peace for the very reason the professor right. invoked. But, you know, there, there are when a lot of... When you say of they're mobsters, what, what is their, what's, their, what's their M.O.? I mean, to, to say a mob, I mean, what, is it prostitution? Is it illegal? I think there are a drugs? lot of. I, mean, I think I think there's a lot of trafficking that goes on, and I think drugs that, and people. Yeah, and I and I think that um, I I think it's it, it's hard to speak with great specificity because those countries are not disclosing events and statistics the way, say, Canada or the United States might. So and and uh, they're they're as concerned about it. I think I think the UAE is as concerned about it as as anybody else. And I know, you know, we've had F1 in Qatar and then uh, Saudi and now this weekend in Abu Dhabi. And I know that that F1 travels with a whole coterie of, let's say, um, attendants, and uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, not not exactly welcome in in devout Muslim countries. So I, there. It's it's an issue. I I think I don't know. Professor knows more and, than I do. And I, if I could just jump in for a minute, sure. Bruce. You know, not that I'm an expert on Russian pornography or anything, but I'm just going to extrapolate something. You know, we know that they're involved in ransomware. We know that they do attacks in our country and others. Mm -hmm. um, and in the United States alone, you know, we know based on what the FBI tells us that we're aware of about twenty percent of what they do in our country. If the same numbers apply when it comes to human trafficking, uh, weapons trafficking, or other illicit activities, you know, we barely know the very tip of the iceberg of what they're capable of and what their operations do in our country and across the, across the world. So it wouldn't be surprising to find out that their fingers are in more things than we know at any given time just because it's so hard to track, so hard to monitor, and so hard to stop. On that note, we have to say you have the last word. Uh, Nigel Rapp, thank you very much for joining us this evening uh, from Loyola Marymount University. Chris uh, Roebling also joined us. Chris, it's always good to have you. And uh, Ray Lopez, always good to have you as well. Frankie Rodriguez helped make this program possible. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Elk Grove Village, Illinois. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.